Hey everyone, welcome to 12 Questions. This is Anna Valenzuela, and I have spent all weekend yelling in, in crowds, which is exciting, which is why I sound so raspy. Um, and I'm very excited uh, to introduce my co-host, Mr. Dave Yates. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Great. How you doing, Dave? <laughs> I'm good. I'm in I'm in Oklahoma and I'm I'm in a Hampton Inn. So uh that is the the epitome of class. Uh you know, so uh I'm I'm ready to pod. I'm excited. And I think I have a sneaking suspicion you're gonna ask me to read that beautiful clarity statement. Am if I right? you could, that'd be lovely. Be happy to. Welcome to 12 Questions Podcast. We believe that growth and recovery isn't just for clean and sober people. Our mission is to share our experiences with guests who do the same. We're not affiliated with AANA or any other 12-step organization. 12 Questions has absolutely no opinion on the use of drugs or alcohol by anyone. We're simply two people that happen to be in recovery that want to give hope to anyone struggling. Although some of our guests may be clean and sober, some of them are not or choose not to divulge purpose of the podcast is to learn more about ourselves and others. We only hope that you can learn something about yourselves by listening. Thank you so much, Dave. Uh, and let's just let's just hop right into this. Um, I'm really stoked to have this guest. Really, really stoked. This is one of those like, okay, dream guests. So excited. Oh. Um, yes. Who are we speaking with today? Hi, you're talking to Greg Barrent. Yay. Hey. Oh, yeah. Love yes. me some Greg. Love, love, love. And it's so good to see you, buddy. I know this past year has been crazy, and you're just one of those people that I always meant I should call Greg, and then I just fucking am a bad friend. So I, no, I appreciate it, you. No, it goes here. both. It goes both ways, buddy. It goes. It goes both ways. I keep up with you on the on the uh, social medias, and uh, so I sort of always sort of know where you're at. But um, but yeah, I, it'd be it would be good to lob in a call either way. Yeah, man. I, I promise. I'll, I'll try to be better. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love a. I love an interview that starts with a mini amends. It's the cutest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a little so mini cute. amends. Yeah. I think it's been really hard to to keep up with. Um, it's hard to explain because we're all home for the first time in a few years, right? And we're just now getting back at, at it. But it's it's really interesting, like, how being at home, it was a little harder almost to call people because there was just this, like, we're just in this survival mode that whole time. You know what I mean? There also wasn't anything to tell anybody. That too. I, I mean, other than, like, you know, I'm baking or something. Like, it was really, like, there was nothing to say. What do I say? We're, we're both in the same, you know, I'm not working. I'm not going anywhere. I'm with my family and my kids. It's right. the same day over and over again. I don't have a lot to I don't have a lot of stories and I don't have a lot of adventures and I don't have any gossip. I don't have any <laughs> I haven't seen anybody. So I don't That's true. I, the, I can't the gossip talk shit was about real low. The, the gossip, gossip. Yeah, really low. There was, it was really low. There were no meetings, you know, there was just nothing. Were you a like, Zoom what meeting? What do comedians talk about if they don't have any gigs or gossip, right? <sighs> no, totally. And other comics and all the rest of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, I never really hooked into the Zoom meetings. I, I went to them. I went mm -hmm. to plenty of them. But I never, I, I didn't, I couldn't hang with it. I found myself distracted looking at other things, not paying attention, surfing, you know. Yeah, I am. Um 
I have pretty severe ADHD and I realized that um, I have a squishy uh, that I, I basically put things by the computer so I could fidget while I was doing the meeting. And mm-hmm. that was really helpful. But I, I kind of fell in love with it because I'm at that point of doing like road gigs and stuff where it's like one nighters in Arizona. It's like it's like uh, I'm missing a lot of meetings. And so right. it was nice to hook back in with people uh, that I had lived. I've lived in a bunch of different areas. So it was really nice to like connect back with meetings. And um, and what's great is a lot of the meetings I went to are staying online. So I'll be able to like you know, go to the comedy store and then pop into my Zoom meeting on Monday or something, you know, like that's... Right. No, yeah. that's definitely good. It's great for the road. It's great yeah. for the road because it's it's hard when you're on the road to get yourself to go to an out-of-town meeting. Yeah. You tell yourself you're going to do it and then you're in totally. the hotel and you're full of sodium and you just want to sleep, you know? And no, so... you do. You do. Yeah. <laughs> Looking it up, trying to find a ride, trying to figure out how to get there. All right. All becomes like, oh, shit. Or accidentally ending up in a really dicey neighborhood. Like, I didn't know Portland had its own version of the Tenderloin, but I found it going to a meeting. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, Whoa. Right, off, right off Burnside. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, let's get into these questions. Yeah. Let's, get it. let's do it. Greg, how do you experience surrender? How do I experience surrender? Yeah. Um, you mean in what in what ways do I do I yeah. experience yeah. surrender? Yeah, like I. Um, well, the thing that comes immediately to mind is my relationship with my daughters. Mm. You know, and and what and what they're like growing up, and mm. my need to have it go one way, and their need to have it go another way. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You know, so I have to surrender to who they are all the time as opposed to who I want them to be. You know, otherwise I, otherwise I'm not a good parent. So I have to constantly, I have to, especially as my oldest, I really have to surrender to what her moods are and what she's about. And, you know, and cause it, when, when they're little, they just kind of adore you and that's it. And then Mm -hmm. when they get older, they don't necessarily adore you. (laughs) <laughs> right and uh, and uh, so you know so I surrender and I surrender I think in my marriage too a lot you know I I try you know try not to control the situation yeah you know I I try and deal with what is yeah yeah and that's so it's so hard you know because I I think similar to what you said about your daughters which I related to so much because I had a sober dad and um. I remember when I first got clean, I was I was in an Alano club and and I passed some of his friends leaving their their meeting and going into mine. And um and they said to me, you know, your dad always knew you'd end up here, but he had oh, faith wow. you'd end up here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. It was like I remember the moment I was a kid and we got I was eating before dinner and we got a fight over a bag of chips. And I was fighting with him the way that you would see someone fight for their drugs on the show Intervention. Like, I was right. furious. And I remember the look on his face of like, oh, she got it. She got it, too. And having the faith, like, when he was, pa- when he was dying, my, um, my, uh, my stepmom told me he had all this advice for everybody. And she said, what do you have to say about Anna? And he said, oh, she'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> She'll be fine. She's She'll got be fine. this. Yeah. yeah she got it. 
Yeah, and it was and it and it was all I think because he knew it was just like that's my kid through and through, and yeah. whether or not we would like people to do you know. To, I can only imagine what it's like to to just accept. I'm not a parent, but just to, to just accept that like our parent, our, a child is not a mini me. You know, in my relationship, right. I have to accept that my boyfriend is not my the man of my life. I'm too old to say boyfriend. The man of my life is <laughs> is too. I am. It's it happened this year, uh, but it's he's not an extension of me. He's just himself, and he's right. not always going to behave in ways that make me comfortable. You know? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so you awesome. gotta surrender to that, you know, to everybody really. I mean it's the whole maxim of having no control over people, places or things. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I have to put down my desire to fix, manage and control, uh sometimes hourly. You know. Yeah. Like like, yeah, I, I'm around. I'm around. Uh, I'm in Oklahoma, and I'm around uh, my girlfriend's uh, brother and sister, and they're ten and eleven. And it's just like I have to surrender to the fact that I, man, ten and eleven year olds have energy, and I'm used to hanging around with adults, and it's just it's blowing my mind because I don't hang out with kids regularly. <laughs> so, yeah, you like, do. You hang out with comedians. There's nobody at their actual biological yeah, age. <laughs> that. Mentally, sure, but they, <laughs> no comedian has the energy of a 10 or 11 year old. Like, Sans, like, you know, they don't have like Robin Williams energy. Like, I think that's the thing. It's just like these 10, 11 year olds, Robin Williams had that energy, whether it was co- cocaine fueled or not. You know, yeah, right. he had 10, 11 year old energy forever. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, you know, it's trying to fix, manage, and control other people for me and throughout my recovery has given me, um, huge areas of insanity just like yeah it's given me a lot of insanity and so my question is greg is like how like what's been the most insane moment for you either in or out of recovery insane moment in what ways like it could be good insane good uh or insane bad just you know those moments where you're like how did we get here where you become you become a talking head song right you're just like whoa this is wild like you know how what what moments were those for you i mean insane bad i would have to say was um when i was on oxycontin and my sister who was also on oxycontin died mm. and i found her and when the police came i'm I made time to slip into the bathroom and take her Oxycontin. Wow. For myself. Damn. When did this happen? Uh, this was uh, going on six years ago. Fuck. Yeah. Oh, my heart. Yeah. Yeah, that's insane bad. That was sort of like, oh, my God, who am I? Right. Right. You Were know? you present to that while it was happening or was it just because I get it. I'm an addict. Like, um, you know? I was sort of present to it. Because you're always sort of present to it, and it was, and because I had relapsed, so I was always aware that I had relapsed. Yeah, you know, that's the, that's the. I love, um, in in the fellowship I'm in, there's a a really great chapter in the core book called Recovery and Relapse, and um, it's, it, you know, it, it always gives me that like, what's 
you know, the road to it, you know, where we're at. But when I, having grown up in the program, there's nothing worse. You know, you hear that you say like, there's nothing worse than having a head full of program and a body full of drugs. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, I got there because I, I got there because I had cancer. Yeah. and, And it was prescribed. But, you know, if I had been a sober cancer having person, I would have been talking with my sponsor, which I wasn't. Right. And so I ended up back on, you know, I went back out on the road and I was trying to get off of Oxy and I had a show and I couldn't, I I couldn't handle the withdrawals. So, you know, I copped in St. Louis and, and then stayed on it for like almost another year. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because they had given me some uh, Norco or what is that what it's called? Norcos, yeah. Yeah, Norco. yeah. they gave me nor- Norco to uh, detox with, and they weren't doing the job. I mean, I should have wow. been. They should have just put me into a detox. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's Why the didn't problem. they do they that? Should de- they should detox me because they didn't. They had no idea of how much. Right. You know, they, you know, they're giving you six, seven pills a day, and then all of a sudden they cut you down to one or two. And you're like, I don't know what I'm, I can't handle this. Yeah. I, I honestly think that, you know, given what we do know currently about the state of opiates in the medical community, there should be a mandatory detox. They should offer that as part of the plan. Yeah, totally. You know, yeah. as part of the leaving the hospital plan, whether it be for cancer or surgeries or things like that, because that's, I mean, it's a tale as old as time as far as like, uh, you know, I, I have a family member that um, had, uh, you know, pancreas issues, and they were prescribed oxycodones and Norcos and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. then it was before anybody really knew what was going on in that market. And then when they started shutting down, giving people the orange pill bottles, uh, well, the dope man's house was always open. So it was an easy transition from, yeah. you know, prescribed narcotics to uh, I go buy dope now. Like mm-hmm. there was no l- landing of the plane, as it were, you know, like after his issues, there was no like, all right, you know, like even from not not a recovery standpoint, but like a like a post operational, like uh, like how you would rehab a knee, you know, there should be like, OK, this is how we get off of these. Yeah, right, 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 right. There I eventually is- I eventually went to Suboxone, which was also a, mm-hmm. a, a nightmare. Mm-hmm. That's my Oh my gosh, so many things to say. That was my mom's, uh, my mom passed away from complications of the disease and like that was her prescriptions were always the thing. And I felt like she was always having surgeries every two years, you know what I mean? And um, and so she had, she always had access to prescriptions and I think they've gotten a lot better now. I know because I had to have surgery and I went in all like hot, like, like, you know, I just want you to know, I can't really take these like heavy narcotics. I'm a person in a program. And they laughed. They said, oh, you're a Medi-Cal. You're not going to get those. And I was like, oh, they were like, yeah, no, (laughs) they were like, "Uh, the most you're getting is a tramadol. Good luck. (laughs) And I was like, dang. (laughs) And so I think that they're getting better about it. And I know that, but it is that, um, that whole that whole cycle is so so difficult because you don't. I can only imagine, Greg. You you cancer, and then it, because there is that like 
we get clean and we're like, okay, it's just not going to be hard anymore. And then life on life's terms shows up and like, mm-hmm. here's a big bottle of the, the, the best drug companies have to offer, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. like the most, the, the thing that is the most chemically designed to keep you dependent. Here you go, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's so fucked up. It is yeah. so fucked up. And, and the Suboxone too, we knew I was working in treatment when that came out and they were like, this is a miracle drug. We we're going to be able to get people off all these things. They were uh, prescribing it left and right. And all the rehab techs were like, oh, they're high. We know they're high. We can see it. Like, and so it's, oh man, man, what a struggle. You're crushing you know, a struggle. It. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Huge. So with all that that's happened, uh, how do you make decisions today in, in, in recovery? Uh, like what, whether it be about your relationships with your family or your decision to stay sober, like how do you make those decisions today? Um, how do I make those decisions? I mean, I'm, again, it probably goes back to surrender. You know, I just sort of, I just sort of, I can see the playing field now, you know, and I can, and I can, and I can sort of see what the game is Mm -hmm. and, um, and I just take my time with things. I don't get upset. I don't get freaked out. You know, I was, I was diagnosed after all this with bipolar disorder. Okay. So bipolar two, which is, which is, um, uh, different than bipolar one. Bipolar one is manic high, manic mm-hmm. low. Bipolar two is low and then lower. Yep. Mm. So, um, so uh, I'm on a prescription for that, and uh, and that changed my life. Yeah. That's great. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was incredibly helpful, and uh, and so I just move at a slower pace now. I don't yeah. make fast decisions. You know. I love that. I. Yeah. I love I'm a big proponent of the mental health aspect of recovery. I mean, uh, in the past couple of years, I've just I've made it a point to share about how in the literature it says many of them have grave emotional and mental disorders, but many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. And it's like, you know, the 12 steps aren't going to cure bipolar one or two. You know, but what they might do is fit me with the ability to be honest, open and willing to get that help to achieve a a more, I guess, for lack of better terms, robust recovery. Like my second sponsor was uh, attention deficit disorder and couldn't read the big book for four years because he couldn't focus. And then someone said, hey, maybe you should talk to a doctor. And they got him on ADD medication and he could read and function and participate in his recovery in a way that he had never imagined. Yeah. Yeah. Where I mean, Dave, first off, you just Da Vinci code, you just Da Vinci coded the book for me a little bit, because I was like, the capacity to be honest, honest is like, honesty is like, the key to like surrender, it's surrendering to the fact that you have other things going on other than your disease. Um, Sorry, I had it just, you know, I felt I I could see the matrix going on in the background. I love that. I love that. Because I I remember so a few years ago, it was like, I think I got this, you know, I got double digit recovery. I'm killing it. I'm doing stand up. I'm doing my thing, you know, and I had a panic attack on stage. I was able to, I was able to perform, but I wasn't in my own body. And the second mm-hmm. I left the club, I had to pull over the car because I started vomiting and I was like tingling the whole panic attack vibe. And I marched in, I had a therapist appointment the next day and I marched in and I said, 
that I, I said, this is a rock bottom for me. I, I'm making the decision. What do I need to do? And I've been on medication and I haven't had a panic attack since. And it's the mm-hmm. smallest amount of medication. It's just like a, just a little, just a little bit of the Zoloft. You know what I mean? Just, mm-hmm. just pop that in there. And it has been a game changer. I call it my I call it my sneaky performance enhancing performance enhancing drug because it's like I'm more present. I can listen. I'm not as um, I'm not as scattered. Like there's just uh, so much that that helps. And I also don't feel high and I don't feel the incredible high highs of anxiety and the incredible low lows that follow it, which you can kind of get addicted to. We can have these moments with our mental health stuff where we're like, well, this is forever. And I it's that I'm sitting in my shit because it's warm, you know, the thing that was difficult for me. And the the only thing that's been difficult for me is that I tended to to write comedy in a manic state. Yeah. Either up or down. Mm-hmm. And now I have no manic states. So I don't find myself thinking in the same way that I used to. So I don't yeah. find myself writing in the same way that I used to. And it really, I have to really try and access myself to write. It's very hard because I would, I would depend on those episodes for creativity. Yeah. You know, and I would have them every, you know, I would be up and down, you know, I would have, a, I would have an episode at least once a week. You know, yeah. but I, and I would end up finding myself right. So I, I haven't written a ton, well, you know, since I got since I got on this medication. What you just said was such an incredible amount of like. Does it first off? Does that does that? How are you like? Does that bother you, or are you just like exploring it to see where the writing lies in your in your mind in your experience right now? Yeah, I'm trying to find where where it is yeah. now because I don't I don't want to go back. Right. Like a lot of people would go, I can't write comedy. I'm getting off this drug. Yeah. You know, it's dulling my senses and it's making me, but for me, it's more like, look, I'm getting along with everybody in my life now, so I'm not changing this. But what I do want to do is figure out how to approach comedy or if comedy is even the thing that I'm going to do, you know, maybe I'll do something different. It all depends. I, Oh, I'm coming back into to stand up. I'm 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 my goal is to come back in with the integrity that the steps have given me. I know it's not always going to be easy. Um, and I know it's going to wa- it's going to falter sometimes and to come back with the boundaries. And in mm-hmm. order to know those two things, I have to look inward and I have to um, I have to know myself. Right. I have to discover mm-hmm. about myself. And it sounds like you're in that same space of discovering like where where does it live like because it's there i know it's there like Mm -hmm. where 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 does it live and how does it want to come out you know and like and i i trust that you'll find that because you're asking yourself questions and you're and you're you're discovering things about yourself what in your your recovery has been the most surprising thing that you've found out about yourself um Wow, I don't know. I don't know what is the okay. most surprising thing I've. You don't have about to know. Myself. It's yeah. probably to be announced. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I imagine. I mean, I'm a lot more patient than I used to be. Mm. That's I'm a lot a- more patient. I like reality television more, so I think <laughs> that's something. I found that I really like. I really, I really didn't like reality television for a really? long time, and now I'm sort of now I've sort of become obsessed with it. What's your jam? What's your what are your shows right now? Oh, it's it's all of them. 
I mean, I really, love, I love Selling Sunset. I love uh, The Bachelorette. I love Project Runway and Top Chef. I mean, oh, Project Runway. Okay, love Are Project you- Runway. Run, Pro- Project Runway is probably my favorite. Okay, okay. I'm a RuPaul's Drag Race, and um, I like the benign realities. So like, I haven't watched RuPaul's Drag Race. Is it amazing? I yeah, it should. It's actually uh, I I came to it through Project Runway, that kind of thing. So if you if you took Project Runway and Top Model and had drag queens be the subject, right? They sew, they dance, they, they they make all their own shit. They make their own shit. They make them do comedy episodes, and it's the most cringy thing you've ever seen in your life. Oh yeah, well it can't um, be any cringier when that than when they make the Bachelors do stand up. Oh, oh, it's nothing worse than a white guy trying to be funny. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it is awful. <laughs> <laughs> nothing worse than a white guy who thinks he's funny. We were talking See, about. I watch. Was- I watch nothing but Dateline. I watch murder shows. That's the reality TV I watch. I watch nothing but fucking murder. Murder. I can't do benign. I need it to be gruesome. That's well, hilarious. Yeah, I like a. I like a Great British Baking Show or a Great Pottery oh, Throwdown. I love, I love the Pottery Throwdown. Oh, isn't that isn't yeah. that just like a warm hug in your soul? It's yeah. so comforting yeah my kids were like what the fuck is this this is insane <laughs> no one in my family liked it no one in my family likes the same the the same stuff they you know yeah I, I got- think you might have hit the nail on the head it's like it's like a it's like a a blanket you know mm-hmm. yeah these, these they, they just make you feel comfortable and warm yeah and that's it's, true it, you know no matter what it is it's like yeah. okay there's a bunch of people passionate about stuff and I'm passionate about the stuff that I like. So it's like watching people explore their passion is comforting. Yeah. Well, Brandy Posey and I got so into it that we started um, – she she took she's taking pottery right now, and I bought her a little tiny pottery wheel so she can oh, try nice. to throw. It's, oh, like, amazing. very small. She'd have to go like this, but it's very oh, cute. That's amazing. That's cute. <laughs> and, and also Forged in Fire, hot recommendation. It will kill you. Uh, <laughs> Blow it. The glass oh, blowing glass one. Is that one too. Fucking great. I think I think comedians like to watch people being creative in ways outside of stand up. And yeah. I think that's what those shows do for us. Is it I feels do. really I love good. The, I love the creativity. I like the competition. You know. Mm-hmm. I like picking a winner. I like finding someone that yes. I really like, you know. The person you root for. Yes. Yeah, totally. The outsider. Yes, I even after season two, I'm still ro- rooting for Richard on po- on Pottery Throwdown. He's he's mm-hmm. my man. I love him. <laughs> Just that yeah. dorky old man. <laughs> but you know, it's one of the things because I find, especially with comics, because I had like I have I had like twelve years when I started stand up, so it was like I came in with this like this mentality of my whole world had been 12 step up until that point I worked in treatment, the whole thing. And so when I, when I came into standup, I discovered that there's a lot of hips, look, hips looking cool. Right. A lot mm-hmm. of folks that are like, I want to be, you know, they only want to watch the cool stuff or do the thing. Right. That's like the, the most edgy or whatever. And what I love about that is there's like a self honesty to knowing what you like and enjoying what you like without shame. Like mm-hmm. what would you what would you say is your level of honesty today? Oh, I'm pretty I'm I'm as honest as I've ever been. You know, I have I don't have any shame. Yeah. At this point. It's also an age thing. Mm-hmm. No one's really that no one's really that interested in me, to be honest with you. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it used to be, it was like you were, your personality was all of the things that you liked and didn't like. And, and so you sort of had to be careful about what you talked about and, and what it was and why it mattered. Now nobody gives a shit. Yeah. I can like whatever I want. I can wear whatever I want. Nobody fucking cares. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody cares. Yeah. I have a, I, I'm very passionate about cardigan sweaters and I have quite a collection. Oh. I, mean, I love clothes. I love, I've always loved clothes. I've lo- I love clothes. Yes. That's, um, there's a few comics out here that are very into fashion, men that are very into mm-hmm. fashion and having these conversations about like whether what they like is athleisure, cardigans, for example, mm-hmm. um, you know, getting into those like Instagram hype beast brands. I'm just like, feel yourselves, gentlemen, look good. I've noticed that Dave's, Dave's look has been, is quite refined these days. I love the sweater with the big D on it. You know, that's, uh, that was a thrift store find. Uh, I'm a combination of both of my parents as far as uh, wardrobe goes. As So my mom would love buying brand name stuff. My father would wear the cheapest Franklin New Balance shit you could find. So me, I like name brand stuff, but I only like it if I can get it from the thrift store. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's cool. And that's that my, 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 I, I bought new pants for the first time for my 35th birthday in years, but I bought them from the outlet store. Like that was as close to brand new as I could let myself get was go <laughs> buy, buy new pants from the outlet store. But awesome. I like, I, I think to your point though, like with age, like I think your give a fuck tank becomes empty, you know, yeah. with what people like. And when I'm at my best is when I'm reminding myself that, it's none of my business what other people think of me, uh, and the stakes have never been lower than they are currently, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, right. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially performance-wise. Like, I even do a joke about it on stage, and um, I just tell people, I'm like, the stakes have never been lower. You're just happy to be the fuck out of the house, so I'm free to do whatever I want. Yeah, you right. Know, I, I, I think I I created for so many years this this limiting um, uh, perception of like oh everything matters every every single thing I say is so important and then you know like a lot of grief stripped me of that and then after that I was stripped away from that even more by the pandemic so like um, I was talking to an old New York comic and he said his wife who was also a stand up used to say this before she got on stage god please let me be of service with the gifts you have given me mm-hmm. and that's it that uh, beyond that i know i'm funny and i get up there and just try to be of service and i'm not always there i'm not always in that that homeostasis but when i am it, it feels the best to interact with my friends to to create to do the podcast is is when i empty my give a fuck tank you know, uh, it, it truly produces the best results and it relieves me of so much anxiety. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. I agree with all that. Yeah. And my grandma taught me to say the spirit of the Lord goes before me and makes easy and successful my way. Ooh. And I will say that to myself before I go on stage and then I just go up there and do whatever. And, you know, and also I realized, God, I've done this so many times. It just doesn't matter. No. Like I could have the worst set in the world. It's not going to matter. I've had, I've had the worst set in the world I've, a number of times. <laughs> you know, I've also had, I've also had just killing sets, just mm-hmm. fucking slaying sets. 
So it doesn't matter. It, it, it doesn't matter. Whatever happens this time is going to be whatever it is. Something well, compounding proof to that is like I'll have friends say, oh, I saw this comedian at this club and he fucking killed. I'm like, hey, what was his name? They're like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> my favorite thing about service mindset for for stand-up is like because when i'm in service mindset i'm my best version of me right like that's where that's where i am my um my most behaved but my most sharp and my most on point and my favorite thing is featuring and seeing the host not do great and seeing like someone go before me and being like oh oh this is rough this crowd is not a crowd yet and deciding when i'm done this is going to be a crowd and that to me feels like, I'm like, okay, we're going to do this. I have a job. I have a job to make this a show. And like that to me always feels like, all right, I'm being of service. And it helps me tuck away the fear and anxiety of like the bloodbath I just witnessed. And uh, yeah, I just, we could talk about this part. We could talk about comedy all day, I'm sure, you know. But how do you experience fear and anxiety? Um, I don't experience it. I don't experience as much as I used to. I have some, there are days where I'll start thinking about doing a set the day before and get nervous about it. Mm -hmm. and go, why did I say yes? Oh, mm -hmm. why am I going up? Why am I going up? I don't want to go up tomorrow night. I just want to stay home. You know, I like staying home with my, being around my family. Not that they necessarily love me, but, uh, but, then I just realized, what do you get over yourself? What do you, you know, you've been, you've done this a million times. Yeah. You know, what's there to be afraid of? This is, this is good. You're getting out of the house. You know, you're seeing people, you're doing things. And I see, then also then I get to the club and I see other comics and there's all that familiarity and all of that shit that I realized, oh yeah, I'm part of this really cool thing that I've been doing mm -hmm. my whole life that, you know, not a lot of people are willing to do. And I've done it for a lifetime. So it's not like, do I think, you know, I don't have to prove that I'm a comic anymore. No. You know, so. Um, and as far as fear comes, it comes and I let it sit for as long as it needs to sit. And then I, and then I let it go. You know, I try and meditate through it. Mm. Yeah. Now, I just because I. I we know each other for a, f a few years now. Like, uh, ha did you experience any fear and anxiety with trying to pivot into some of the new things that you're up to with your podcasts and your coaching? Like, was there any fear and anxiety behind that? Cause this, it, to me, you know, it's like, it's not stand up. It, you know, you're, you're trying to pivot and grow in a different direction. Was there fear and anxiety attached to that or did it feel natural? The podcast felt very natural. Cause I, I, I've had a few. I've had a few podcasts and the first mm -hmm. one I had actually was pretty successful and in the early days of podcasting and, but the coaching, I definitely had fear around because you're putting yourself out there as somebody who can help and then you have to help people and then they're, they're on the phone and they're real and their problems are real and they're looking to you for solutions or for a way to get, you know, to get happy or to get, out of the block that they're in or whatever they, whatever the reason is for calling. You know, I'm coaching a lot of comics right now, which is really interesting and helping people with their specials and that kind of stuff. Like I'm doing some really, really fun stuff, but I also get the phone calls from girls who've just been broken up with yeah, and are desolate. And, you know, um, and so I did have fear around that at the beginning. Cause I, I, I kind of was like, 
can I really do this or am I insane? You know, um, but in having done it now more, I, I, I have less fear about it. Yeah. Well, it, see, it seems like a natural progression too. I mean, you know, like uh, I, you, you found a way to just grow as Greg in, in just the more capacities that, you know, that seemed to me from an outsider looking in is a natural progression, you know, yeah. from helping people and giving advice and writing books and things like that, you know, so this is a more direct interaction. That's what yeah. it seems like to me. Yeah. Now, do character defects crop up for you when, when you when you when you when you're doing this? Like what what defects of characters are, are you working on or surrendering to the most right now? Support for 12 Questions Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer just for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code 12QPOD. That's 12QPOD at manscaped.com. Imagine having a sleek and well-designed, optimized trimmer that makes shaving time your favorite time in the bathroom. I'm one of the first people to try the new 4.0, and I'm blown away by the performance. The craftsmanship and the details on the 4.0 are next level. I used other trimmers in the past, and I've nicked my balls plenty of times, and you all know the pain of nicking your balls. Ouch. Not to mention, afterwards, the sweat, the stinging. It's just not a good time. Manscaped engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and incredible, comfortable grooming experience. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. I now feel confident shaving my boys. This upgraded trimmer includes a multi-function on-off switch that can engage a travel lock. It also gives you the ability to run the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. The Lawnmower 4.0 even allows you to customize your trim through additional guard lengths with sizes 1 through 4. Did I mention wireless charging? The new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which can help battery last longer. Men, if you've been shaving with the same nut trimmer on your face, you've been doing it wrong. No person wants to end up with pubes in their mouth. It's time to get your own ball, hair, and body trimmer with Manscaped to make me time the best time and enhance your confidence with some nice smooth boys. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code 12QPOD at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. I mean, the thing I'm working on the most is trying to eliminate patterns, behaviors that I that I indulge in that I know are bad, that, mm-hmm. that, that need changing, you know? Mm-hmm. Like my character defects have been pretty, pretty, <clears throat> I've been pretty much at bay. My need to control people is really at an all-time low. Um, my need to know the answer, you know. Sometimes when I'm talking with a client, I just have to go. You might not. I might not have the answer. I might actually not have the answer. Mm-hmm. I, I can talk to you about it, but I may not know what to do. Yeah. You know, and maybe by talking to it, we'll come to it together. Yeah. Because I'm just a person, you know. So I'm going to hear you out, and also my success depends a hundred percent on the other person's willingness to get better. Mm-hmm. It's Absolutely. like sponsoring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I'm here if you want me and 
I know what I know, and here's how I work the program, and here's how I've approached things. And is that interesting to you? Yep. Working in treatment was very much like that. Um, it, watching, there's there's two types of people. There's people who are like, I'm I'm just here to make sure the circus tent is up, and the and the elephants are fed. That's that's what I'm here for, and to keep them safe and to be a good example. And then there's some people that believe that the outcome, they think they're the ringleader, or not the ringleader, but the the ringmaster, right? They think that the outcome of the client is solely dependent on them and the institution. And the, the thing is, is that the, the variable that you just talked about is the willingness to grow and the willingness to be teachable. And you can't give that to people. They kind of have to, they have to stumble, they have to fall, they have to surrender, they have to run face first into the wall over and over and over again, until they decide, you know, what I'm gonna do it differently. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I face that in my own life, you know, in, in just with character defects and people, places and things and, you know, creative projects, like that, that thing of um, remembering that I am my most successful, I'm my most humble and I am the easiest to be around when I'm coming from a teachable position, you know, when I'm just like, I'm going to be teachable. Yeah. And that, and, and, and that does mean even when you're in a position of authority or leadership, sometimes I have to say, I don't know, but I'll find out. That's a great question. I love saying that to people. That's a great question. I don't know. Well, let me yeah. figure that out. Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 I love that. That's so that's so incredible. You have it you must have such a um because to get through the Brene Brown says that, that we play two tapes and that's um you can't do it. And then once you do it, it's who the fuck do you think you are? Uh-huh. And, and um what like for me quelling that who do you think you are is very much about forgiveness because like who do i think i am yeah i've done a lot of those things i am not perfect but i forgive i forgive both myself and others and i forgive who i was in those situations how do you experience forgiveness in your life i i made a lot of mistakes i I, I messed things up pretty badly when I, when I was on Oxy. Mm-hmm. I did some severe damage to the foundation of my family. Mm-hmm. And not everybody is, uh, you know, you think, oh, when I get sober and everyone's going to be really psyched about that. They're going to really be right. thrilled. Right. And, uh, and they're not, you know, they mm-hmm. have their doubts and, mm-hmm. and they're scared. Mm-hmm. And they can't trust that you'll be okay. And you've done some, you know, you've created some PTSD for people. Mm-hmm. Just your presence alone is can be threatening. Mm-hmm. So I've had to, and then I feel bad about that. But there's nothing I can do, you know. I can't do anything about my past, so I have to forgive myself. Mm-hmm. And go into each day just being as lovely as I can possibly be without forcing my will on people. Yeah. You know, and so, and I have to forgive myself because I was on drugs. Right. I made mistakes, bad mistakes. I'm usually the, the I'm usually the last person I'll forgive. (laughs) That's unfortunately where it it should start with me, but I'm usually the last person that I'll, I'll, I'll forgive. My first four step, my name was at the very top, which is an egotistical thing, but also it was the reality. Like, 
I'm the one that yeah. I, I can't forgive on any given day. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. My, I was pretty high on my four stuff, so. I didn't, I don't think I really experienced forgiveness until I worked the steps, I think, for the second time. I think that's what really did it for me, and it was because I had a sponsor drag me through a forgiveness exercise. We had done the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh, and she said, we got to eighth, and she said, you know, you can't um, ask for forgiveness without um, forgiving. And we went th- did this exercise where I went through, and I, I grabbed my previous fourth step and the one that I did before, and I and I did these, like, prayers and and writing and and um, to forgive everyone. And then I got to the end of it and she said, and it was so hard, it was so hard because those resentments protect us, you know what I mean? And we can work the steps and even think like, oh, I beat it, I'm good, I'm good. No, I got that, I got that, I'm fine. I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm all better now, <laughs> you know? But there was really deep areas where I didn't feel like I could per- forgive myself. And, um, and I, we got to, I finally was talking to her and I was like, this is some of the most depressing, difficult shit I've had to do. And she said, well, first off, are you on the list? And I was like, gross. No, I'm the, I, uh, listen, this process is for self-flagellation. That's what I do with the steps. I beat myself up. That's what I'm good at. And she mm-hmm. was like, no, you have to put yourself on there. And that's what I realized when I said at the beginning of the question, I have to forgive. It's not. It's not so much like, oh, I forgive myself. Oh, I forgive myself. It's I forgive who I was in the situation, because usually right. the situation I feel like my addict head tells me I should have been able to protect myself. I shouldn't have said what I said. I shouldn't have done this. And it took my sponsor taking a pen and writing down next to my step work. You were a child, or you were powerless in that situation. You're taking because that that's where forgiveness gets tricky. Is we take we take the guilt from things we have no control, and then we take we displace the we displace the um, the responsibility for things that we we could have done better differently. Mm-hmm. And so by finally getting to that point where I could forgive myself for the situations for who I was in those moments is when is when was, that's what unlocked it for me. You know, mm-hmm. and like, um, but and I know everybody's going to get there, you know, and it's a great way to like come into a night step, you know, mm-hmm. like what's your, what's been maybe the weirdest amends you've had to give in this process. And by the way, I just have to celebrate you. You're saying things as a father that I wish my parents both would have said to me. You know what I mean? And I know that they tried, but just right. if my, if my mom if my family had had the awareness to be like, because they would say, come over and stay the night. And I'd say, I don't feel safe, but I'll be happy to have lunch with you. You know? Yeah, right. And right. to have somebody be able to hear that and not and not take it like a rejection, but to understand that there's a reason. Yes. So you're you're filling my cup right now. You are oh, filling okay. my cup. I'm so, yeah. I'm obsessed. What, like, what has been the weirdest amends or that you've either gotten or given? Huh. Or surprising. Surprising. I said weirdest. I meant surprising. It's all the same to me. I love weird. Yeah. Um, you know, I haven't had that many amends made to me. Mm-hmm. A handful, really. And they were all pretty, you know, what you would expect. Yeah. You know, old girlfriends saying, hey, you know, I'm sorry I, you know, cheated on you. <laughs> I mean, 
was your response like back at you girl high five (laughs) it was always it was always great that they it was always great that i mean i felt like oh that was really cool of you to acknowledge you know because you wouldn't you didn't acknowledge it before and you know that's pretty great um the weirdest amends i made i mean i think the first weird one was like one of the first ones i made the first time i got sober when i called the irs and made an amends to them What did they say? They were super cool. I'm just imagining who picks up the IRS. Hello, I'm Deborah. How can I help you? Yeah. Hi, Deborah. I <laughs> think I owe you and your people an amends. I haven't paid my taxes, and uh, and I want to do so, but I am newly sober and broke. So let's figure out a plan for me that works. You know, where I can get myself back in your good graces. And they were totally. They were totally, they were totally willing to let me pay my, I don't know, it was a hundred bucks a month or something. Did you hear? Yeah, but did, people, I mean, that's so scary. I mean, we all have a, a, a financial amends to make to some degrees bigger than, uh, than others, but like that to call an entity like the IRS and to be honest, I mean, I was shitting bricks when I had to do some of those calls. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that was interesting about it was that I felt like, if I was working at the IRS and I would imagine that most of my phone calls are hostile and by people who are irate and who are, you know, just raging, how nice would it be if somebody called them and said, look, I just want to say, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. You know, there's nothing I can do about who I was, but I can do about who I am. And, and I want to fix my problem. I want to solve my problem. And the lady was like, I, you know, she was like, yeah, sure. Cool. All right, you know. I was at a um, I was at a pool party with a bunch of comics over the weekend, and so many of them were talking about their woes with uh, unemployment throughout the pandemic. And what was fascinating is I'm talking to them. I said, "Well, didn't you call them?" And they were like, "Yeah, but they didn't help me." And I said, "You know, there's a superpower that I have. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna give it to you. Is when you call when you're at the DMV, when you're at the when you're at the you're calling unemployment, calling Medi-Cal, calling any social service, IRS, is to come in with an attitude of humility. Like their job is hard. They spend." all day talking to people that want to fight them. So to come in with a real thank you, baby attitude, like, oh, thank you, baby. Like a real, like nice attitude. Just be like, listen, I know this is not your fault, but I'm supposed to be receiving these payments. You know, what can we do to fix this? And even if they say, no, we can't fix it or it doesn't work to just stay persistent and joyful, it will happen. And they were just all looking at me like I had, like I had three heads, like how, what? (laughs) Like, how did you make that? What? You also have to think of it. I don't think anybody thinks about the gratitude that you have to have. That yes. they're going to give you some money for not working. Yes. They're going to give you some money for not working. It's not yes. their job for them to employ you. Nobody yes. owes you. Nobody owes you anything. Right. So to go in and say, "Look, I, I'm I'm not getting these payments, but I'd like to if I can. I think I qualify, right. and I can't go out on the road because nobody's booking me, and I'm right. I'm not working. But I'm grateful. Thank you for the money." Yes. The first first time in all my years that I was paid as an independent contractor for being unemployed. You bet your fucking ass I was grateful. And you bet your ass the little work I have gotten, I report. You know, uh, because this might never happen again for a guy like me. 
<laughs> to get um, <laughs> like for reals. And I've had to restart it twice. It, it stopped unexpectedly for no fault of my own. And I've had to call in to the governor's office and be like, hey, I know you probably deal with a lot of jerk faces all day long. And I want to say thank you for picking up my call. Uh, but the payments have stopped. What can I do on my end to get them to start again? And they're like, and they laugh usually when I, I acknowledge mm-hmm. them, like, hey, you probably deal with a lot of fucking assholes all day. And that usually takes them off guard purposefully, but it is genuine. It's like my own, like, hey, I see you, and I'm not one of those people, but I do need some help. So let, let, let's try to work together on this, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's because I've been pretty spiritually fit for the most part uh, in the pandemic, just because, like, I don't know. When when everything in your life is taken away from you, you're kind of free to do the the, the soul searching that you might have blocked with travel and the hangs after the shows. And once that's all gone, it's like you can go inward. Mm-hmm. And uh, I try to. The uh, busyness to the addiction. Ability. Yeah, to yeah. get off the busyness train. Yeah, I'm so busy. It fulfills me. I'm so busy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, Greg, what does your spiritual practice look like uh, on a day-to-day basis? Um, I wake up, I meditate. Uh, sometimes I say a prayer, sometimes I don't. Uh, I deep breathe all the time. Mm. Sometimes I'll, I'll meditate again in the afternoon. I like it. Um you know, I try to, uh, I have a, uh, uh, I think some people call it a God jar, but whenever I've got a struggle, I write it down on a piece of paper and stick it in a jar. I love and that. Live, give it, give it up to the universe. You it's know, a very like, physical I, six and seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Solve this for me because, um, just the act of writing something down and having a little jar on my desk to know that I'm, you know, and I look at all the things that are in there and realize like, Hey, I am thinking about this stuff. And, and truth be told, sometimes those problems get handled. Yeah. Yes. I put in my, um, at the first of the year and on my natal birthday, I put in my God box a, um, and my sponsor got it for me. It's an old, um, what you call it? It's an old PO box. And so it's kind of hard to get into. Once I put something in there, I have to like remember I had to like jimmy this thing open again. Mm-hmm. And because um, I, of course, I lost the code. And um, <laughs> and so I, um, I, I, I wrote down this list of things and there were these relationships in my life. Um, friends and mentors that, you know, as things kind of progressed for both of us, they became strained and then they fell apart. And this last weekend I was around all those people and we all greeted each other with love. Like, where have you been? It was like all that old beef just was like, it wasn't like it disappeared, you know, mm-hmm. but there was an acknowledgement, you know, and I'm, I'm swimming around this pool and everyone's flexing on me. They're, they're all going, yeah, I got a therapist. You know, that's their thing. They've all been doing self-improvement. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, you know, for so long, I tried to fix, manage, and control how those relationships were going to pan out. Then I gave up. Then I gave it over to my higher power and just put in that little God box. And I walked in after this party and thought, wow, it worked. I turned it over. Mm-hmm. I turned something over I didn't think I could. 
Yeah. And I was so excited, just like those little moments where you're just like self-dab, like, yes, it works. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> you know? Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I love that and 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 it's and it's those things that help me increase my relationship with my higher power cuz it's um again I'm gonna quote Brene Brown the trust jar you know it takes years to put little bits of marbles of trust in a jar and 30 seconds to knock it over right yeah. and it's like those little moments for me are trust a trust little bean into the jar with my higher power like um how do you like what's your relationship with your higher power like it's interesting i don't think about it that much to be honest with you if i'm being super honest like i yeah. i don't it is whatever it is i just sort of trust and go you know oh trust and go put that on a pillow yeah 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 yeah, yeah. i you know my biggest the thing i say to myself all the time is be present want nothing yeah if I can be present and want nothing, you know, not have to have anything, not have to have a result, not have to have an outcome, not have to have, you know, somebody do something for me. If I can just be present and enjoy what's actually happening, you know, my life is good. Yeah, I think for me right now, it's putting down the spear against God, you know, because uh, I, among many people, suffered a lot of pain, uh, loss the past couple of years. And it's just like I had this fucking, this knives out attitude towards my higher power. And I think the best I've been able to come up with recently is just putting the spear down and, mm. and starting to t communicate with it again, you know? Yeah. And, and it, it, it helps me to not think about it as well, but also to not think negatively about it, if that makes sense. Like yeah. all these things are happening to me when it's that's not real. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh. Oh my gosh, Dave. We got get this last. We got one. to the end. Yeah, we, we got to it. the end here. Um, Greg, <laughs> I love you very much, brother. And hey, yeah, uh, yeah, you just. This last question is: What would you tell someone just like you in the world listening right now? What would I tell somebody who's just like me mm -hmm. listening to this podcast right yeah. now? Yeah. Someone who's just, they're vibing. They're like, man, Greg and I, you know, like they're just like. Simpatico. Simpatico. This is a person who is feeling the same experience as I am. What would you tell that person? You can never have too many sweaters. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best. It might seem like you can, but but you can, you can never have too many you can enjoy clothes, enjoy superficial things, enjoy reality series. Yeah. You know, um, I, I would just say, just take, just take stock of what you have, look around and, and realize how good you have it. And if you want something different, go get it. Yep. It sounds all very cliched, but it's not though. I mean, uh, my, one of my favorite, uh, Kurt Vonnegut quotes is, uh, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, I beg you to stop every once in a while and look around you and say, if this isn't nice, I don't know what is. Yeah. Right. Right. Right, right, right. I agree with that. I love that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Greg, where can people find you and all the things that you're doing? Uh, it's Gregor's, I-T-S-G-R-E-G-G-E-R-S. It's Gregor's is my Instagram. That's my main hub. 
Okay. Um, I have a, a website if you're interested in coaching and that kind of thing, and it's Gregory Barrent, G-R-E-G-O-R-Y-B-E-H-R-E-N-D-T.com. And if you sign up, you get a free meditation. That's kind of funny and fun. And, um, uh, and my coaching page is there and all that other stuff. I love that you awesome. help you, people. You got a podcast right now too. Oh, and I have a podcast, podcast called "Don't Take Bullshit from Fuckers," which yeah, which I'll have you guys on. Oh, I would awesome. love that. I yeah. don't take bullshit. Don't take bullshit from fuckers. It's my fa- it's the, my favorite named <laughs> podcast is "Don't Take Bullshit from Fuckers." So yeah. That hits me in the like you know like like cholo part of my heart. That's like, what's up, fucker? Like, yeah. what's it? Whose man's is this? The fuck? Like, who are you? Oh, you showed up with this attitude, this energy? Oh, uh-huh. you don't know who I am. I prayed and meditated today. Thank you. <laughs> I love it. I love Thank it. You. Dee, where can people find you and all the things? You can find me and all the things at Yates Comedy, Y-A-T-E-S Comedy. That's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok. I'm on TikTok throwing up the stand-up clips, trying to make a name for myself. And if you would like to support me, the best way you can do that is you can order some hot sauce from yours truly, hahahotsauce.com. It's very delicious. It is how I make a living, so please buy some hot sauce. Anna, where can people find you in the podcast? You can find me at Anna V is Fun. That's Anna with two N's. I should have called it Anna with two let me be honest, but it's at Anna V is fun on Twitter and Instagram. You can also find me at AnnaValenzuela.com for information about the show, information about show dates. I'm getting out. Uh, I'm getting sweaty. I'm getting booked. I'm excited. Um, so come, come on out and see me. You can find this podcast at 12Q Pod um, on all the social medias, including the TikToks. I'm also on the TikToks, but I'm not as good at it as Dave. And um, but I will be. It'll happen. And uh, you can you can find find um yeah you can gmail us 12q pod the whole thing 12q pod and thank you for sending your listener questions we're gonna start cooking up that episode soon and greg how we end this podcast every time is if nobody's told you this today we love you love you buddy love you guys and if you're listening and nobody's told you this oh dave bad bad anna back it up girl okay dave if nobody's told you this today we love you Okay, Dave, if nobody's told you this today, we love you. Normally, he's very frozen. I'm going to keep this in. Gross. Gross. That's what he would say. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. And if you're listening to this and nobody's told you this today, we love you. Thanks for listening. Have a good week, everybody. Bye.